Hey everyone, and welcome to Liquid Liner Notes, a podcast that brings you interviews from the beverage and music industries. I'm your host, Danny, aka Hip Hops on Instagram. For this week's episode, I have a record collector and vinyl DJ, Cecil Thomas, also known as C-Dub. Cecil, thank you for coming on. Of course, thanks for inviting me. All right, so I have to say Cecil and I met because our sons go to school with each other, and we were hanging out after soccer practice one day and started talking about records and uh he was dropping like heavy be funk and all that stuff and yeah. we, I, we were kind of like wait a second like what like i don't know anyone else who really yeah, knows yeah. this stuff yeah. so it was uh it was a fun happenstance um so i'm going to start out with your collecting how long have you have you been collecting i mean I would say I've been collecting since I was a kid, right? I mean, for me, records were the first kind of form of music we had in our house outside of, you know, like a tape deck. So, I mean, the first record I have that I bought, I still have. It's it's off the wall for Michael Jackson. Mm. Still have it. Still have it in my crate. Probably never leaves the crate just because it's a classic album. But that was like the first album I remember. It wasn't even me. It was something my parents had bought. Yeah, I was going to say, did your parents listen to... I mean, they didn't really... They listened to Indian music, which okay. where my family was from South India. So a lot of it was that. But at the same time, you know, they had been in the country for probably five years at that point. So, you know, part of it is just assimilating. And at that time, you're talking, you know, uh, 78, 79, 80, right around the time that Off the Wall comes off, Michael Jackson's, you know, becoming the beginning of a stardom. So I think everybody, regardless of who you were, if you grew up here, you were dialed into Michael Jackson some way or another. And I think my parents were just like, well, everyone's talking about this guy. Might as well buy this record. And yeah. that's like the record I just remember hearing as a kid, like, whoa, this so is pretty amazing. Yeah. You started out listening to like that. I don't know what you want to call it. Pop or like that. Yeah. yeah the Michael Jackson's pop music. And then, uh, when did, when do you think that you started listening to, or like finding your own artist? Yeah. Um, God, I would say like junior high. Um, I was, uh, was a skater back in the day. So punk rock was like the first thing that I fell in love with, but I also played trumpet from, uh, like third grade. So by the time sixth grade hit, you know, it was really about kind of consuming music, right? Like finding bands that would play at skate parks, finding their tape or like wax or anything you can find. But at the same time I was being schooled by, uh, our band director who was all about like getting us to listen to jazz music as junior high like musicians and that was monumental because i was you know equal parts listening to like you know minor threat mm. but then also listening to miles davis right at like sixth seventh and eighth grade yeah so that really for me that's when i mean collecting my, really started to kind of kick in my aim handle was minor threat oh, no, <laughs> back no, in middle nice, school nice nice <laughs> that's so funny um, I got I got into hip hop or I got into hip hop after I got into punk music mm-hmm. because there was like some hip hop that were on a, a punkarama compilation CD yeah, and I was like those, yeah yeah Epitaph. that's so fun. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Did you, uh, so did you get into ska at all if you played the trumpet uh, I did yeah I was big into ska man I saw my my Boston's like a shitload of time when I was you know you're growing up younger but um yeah like operation ivy yeah i mean like yeah you name it i was a, i was a big and then you know obviously like the old school scott coming out of like london selectors and stuff like that. oh yeah oh yeah man that definitely i mean for me i think i've always been of the mentality that there's nothing that i'm like i'm a lover of it all right so 
you know, hip hop at the same time was also something big being exposed to back then in the eighties and nineties. And, um, so yeah, I mean, the, I think the point was, was to go there and enjoy it all. Cause there was like, there wasn't anything that I loved so much that I was like, this is my thing. Yeah. This is all I care about. Like even to this day, when I find people that are like that, I'm like, dude, you're listening, missing out on so much, man. Yeah. Like, these artists don't like listen, consume and create in a vacuum. Right, they like are informed by other sounds and so forth. Like, so, um, yeah. Listen, yeah, listening to even like I don't know. There's, I'm trying to think of like an obscure example, but like surf rock. So like I'm, I I go through phases, and especially in summer where I listen to a lot of surf rock. But the surf rock from like Southern California versus the surf rock that comes from the Midwest, which oh, yeah. you would be like, what? Like yep. just surf rock in the Midwest. Yep. But the but the inspiration that they draw from the other music there, it's just. It's like wine has their terroir. Like yep. it's sort of like music. House has their terroir. And I love the 100%. inspirations. It's a great. I mean, it's a great analogy because I mean, I think you can't. Yeah, you can't look at something and say that you know, this is it. I mean, outside of forms of like blues and jazz music, but even that has got its history in the roots in Africa yeah. right? of slaves being brought over and the tradition being passed on to what's here. But I mean, if you talk about American music forms outside of jazz and blues and some folk music everything else is a bastardization of everything else yeah you know i mean hip-hop wouldn't exist if it wasn't for blues yeah you know country wouldn't exist if it wasn't for blues yeah, yeah that's I mean, what it's like most music wouldn't exist if it wasn't for blues yeah. like, really i mean i mean that's something i also grew up i mean i've come back to blues music in probably the last five six years um like i think probably a good year or two before covid mm-hmm. and that's kind of like how i approach my sets it's like I grew up listening to house music as a kid, and blues music as a kid, and I feel like I gotta make sure that that's from beginning to end what you're gonna hear. Mm-hmm. Like you're gonna hear you're gonna hear blues music and house music and everything else you can possibly imagine in between that. Yeah. So do um do you I'm bringing up the blues? I I just recently started getting more into the blues. Also, the last few years, uh, and this would be my answer to this question but I was going to ask you if there's mm-hmm. anything is there like a section or a genre in your collection where you're like man I wish I I need to build this up or I need mm-hmm. I need to collect more in this genre um yeah definitely there's always there's, there's always, always there's more, always more than I my can. discogs want list is like yeah. <laughs> way over a thousand records yeah I mean as far as like a specific sound though um that's a good. That's a great question. Uh, like I'm like, well, I haven't thought of it like that. Um, I'd probably say, and it's not even a question of needing to. I haven't found the need for it, but like newer hip hop. Mm-hmm. Like for me, uh, unfortunately, as a kid of the '80s and '90s, like for me, hip hop just hasn't really evolved a whole lot since the '90s. Mm-hmm. Like you had those years with Dilla and Common, and, and what was happening there, and obviously you know, Wu-Tang Clang and so forth, but like newer hip hop in the last like 10 years, 15 years. I know it's, I know like I'm a, I love Kendrick Lamar, but outside of him and a handful of others, yeah, I just don't feel like there's a whole lot of new hip hop that, and I've got some friends that are big into, you know, some of the newer stuff like Griselda records and all that. And, and, and some of it's all right. It's a little too grimy for me, yeah. you know, per se. So especially just coming from the 80s and 90s where, you know, it was either, like, super political-oriented. Yeah. Um, I mean, I say the one guy I have been listening to a lot of because of what's going on right now in the Middle East is um, an MC out of, he's an Iraqi uh, English MC called Loki. 
if you ever heard of it. I haven't. Man, that's like he's done stuff with the Mortal Technique, obviously. Uh, so like super, super, super political. That was yeah. Mortal Technique was like my branch from punk to yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, Mortal Technique's a badass. Uh, uh, I, I think he's uh, amazing, and it's because of him I found out about Low Key, and then Low Key has been, in my opinion, probably most slept on hip hop artist out there. Is he from Iraq? He's originally, his family's originally oh. from Iraq, but he grew up um, in London. Okay. But he does a lot of work and advocacy work around Palestine, the Palestinian issue, and like really being able to expose, you know, the things that most of the media does not want you to know. And he's yeah. been doing it for like a long, long, long time. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of his one main album. Um, but he's got, yeah, he's, he's like, he's dropping knowledge all the time. Yeah. I'll definitely, I'll check it out. I kind of like, I was really big into Immortal Technique um, in middle school and beginning of high school. And then as I've gotten older, I've gotten like away from the more aggressive stuff. So yeah. when you mentioned the Griselda, I'm like, it's nice when I'm like in the mood for it, for but sure. I got to be sure. like on a run or in the yeah. gym or something yeah. like no, that. No, I agree. I, like, yeah, it's not like for me, it's not timeless. It has like, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Yeah. Music uh, brings out certain emotions for sure, but it's not timeless in the way that a tribe album, you know, could be where you could listen to it at any point, any point, right? It's great at a party, but it's also good in the morning. It, you know, yeah, hundred percent agree. Um, have how many albums would you say is in your collection? If you had said um, like ballpark, it I'd say somewhere probably a little less than somewhere between like forty five hundred, maybe five k. Yeah. So nothing crazy. Nothing. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's people out there who have a lot more. Than yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. And I have. I've had more. I've like cut down. I was, you yeah. Know, have you ever like sold off part of your collection or gone no, on a purge? I mean, like, about ten years ago, I went through a process of just kind of like you know listening to stuff and figuring out like, do I you know is this was this an impulse buy or is this something I really want like something I want to have down the road you know and it's just more of like impulse buys yeah that I kind of got rid of and then since COVID I've been kind of doing it again you know I've got about two crates of records that I'm like I'm happy with these records but in all honesty it's probably not something I need to have in on wax Mm -hmm. I could go there and listen to it on Spotify and be completely content yeah I I met that I, I feel like I need to do that and I, I haven't worked up the gumption to do it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, I mean, I I've I've never been one to like uh, be that it's all about like uh, like collecting records, right? That's not even, you know, it's about collecting sounds and then like finding the stories that come out of it, you know. So there's just some stuff where I'm like, I didn't buy this because I really wanted. It. I bought it because I was peer pressured by someone. You know, it was like a hot record, even though I didn't really like it. Yeah. Everyone else was buying it, so you buy You get it. that FOMO. Yeah. yeah, you get that, exactly. And I was just like, nah, this isn't my style. Like, why would I have this? I've definitely pulled the trigger on that a couple yeah. of times where I'm like, oh, it's limited to 100. I got to yeah. get it now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, it's more about, you know, finding something. You know, usually I dig by labels. So, which is great because it opens up, you know, the ability to kind of look at producers. Maybe they do something else for other labels. So then that introduces you to another label. Mm-hmm. So it's like doing the homework before so that when you go to a record store, you find a producer that's done something on some other label. You already know, like, shit, I might as well put this to the side, maybe pick it up. Right. Yeah. Don't know what it sounds like. That's for me the fun is like picking up something that at least one or two of the things I don't have any clue of. I'm trusting. Either the dude at the shop or what I've read online, and hopefully it works out. If it doesn't, you know, it doesn't work out. Yeah. Do you, where where's your favorite places to dig or to go? 
I mean, Dusty's always been kind of the the standard for me. I mean, I I put it in top five record stores in the world that I've been to, like in the top three, if anything. Um, now that I don't live in Worker Park, I don't. I mean, even before then, once I had a kid, all that kind of like slowed down a lot. Yeah. You know? um, but I used to have two friends that worked at Dusty, so that was nice because. Um, you know, I would get a heads up, you know, hey, something's coming in, you know, heads up, check it out, right? Like, so that was always good um, in that sense. And um, so Dusty, I would say, but then 606 Records is, I think, as of right now, it's the best record store in the city. Yeah. Who, yeah, it runs a great shop. Um, I was just there the other day, I was telling you, and, um, you know, found uh, 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 so I found an album that I've been looking for forever. Mm-hmm. Great condition. Um, you know, it was something where it's an album that could easily go for 40 bucks, but he asked for 20 bucks for it. Mm. You know, he's pricing things to move, right? Like he's making money and he understands what he's doing, but he's like, there's no point of having a record on there. It's so expensive that people are going to, it's going to prohibit them from buying it. But yeah. Market the move. And then more importantly, he'll get labels that just no one else is carrying here in Chicago. Yeah. Especially like independent labels that you know, um, Dusty or Reckless or other places won't even think about. Stocking, yeah, and he'll stock it. Um, does a lot of local artists too, right? He'll like give them the ability to have like a record release party at the shop, mm. right? So they can go there, preview the sounds for people. You know, it's like stuff like that. He's created like a real community um, and people from all over. Just not, I mean, he's in a lo- great location in Pilsen, right off of 18th, right across from Tally Hall. Mm-hmm. But people from all over the city. You know, come down there. Yeah, um, I was just telling you I need to get there. I haven't I haven't been there yet. Yeah, that's a it's a, I'd say right now it, it's it's my top, and then obviously gramophone. You know, um, that's been a standard for forever. Um, Did you grow up in the Chicagoland area then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I would say the best record store that was ever the best record store was a record store I had a chance of working at. This was in Tinley Park. Um, when I was a freshman in the summer of my freshman year, my parents had moved to had moved from Arlington Heights to Orland Park, which is a northwest suburb to southwest suburb. Yeah. But they moved after I graduated high school. So, you know, I didn't know anything about Orland. You know, I was like, I don't never grew up here, I never lived here. So I went there for that first summer and I just remember getting my bike, like figuring out what the fuck's going on with this this town and find this strip mall that there's a record store I could see it's, you know, threshold music in the back. And I'm like, all right, maybe they play, maybe they have instruments. I have no clue. Yeah. Um, go inside and it's like a 3,000 square foot record store. And I mean, I was just like, oh snap, found my mm-hmm. spot, found my place. And it, what makes it even more, this is probably what I would say is the beginning of where I really started going deep into records because that earlier that year, freshman year, I had. You know, I only had, I mean, I, I did collect CDs, not a whole lot, but CDs obviously were bigger in, in high school. Mm-hmm. But because I had a small dorm room, I just brought a little bookshelf system with like two crates of CDs. I got both those crates of CDs stolen from my dorm room. Mm. My dad had said, when I told him about it, he's like, let me see if I can have this covered under the insurance. So he's like, create a list of what you had. Well, I was like, well, shit, if that's going to be the case, I'm going to make a list of like five pages of yeah. you know like two extra crates of CDs that I didn't ever own or have but I'm like why not right yeah it actually goes through like I give my dad this list and somehow or another he gets it covered under 
our home insurance, even though I lived in a dormitory. Mm-hmm. And I was able to get, I think, like $2,500 back in return. So, like, right when I had gone to Threshold, I was like, oh, I know exactly where I'm coming when I get that check. Yeah. I'm coming here. And I get the check. I go over there. My mom drops me off. And I'm like, you know, she's thinking it's going to take me, like, half an hour. Yeah, no way. <laughs> like, mom, just go home. Come back and, you know, like, uh, I'll give you a call, like, you know, to come back and pick me up. Um, I go to make the phone call. They had a payphone outside. And I tell the owner at the time, I was like, I, I come over there with like, I don't know, a stack of records like this, mm-hmm. drop it off. And I'm like, I'm going to call my mom really quickly. She's got to come pick me up. And he's looking at me like cockeyed, like, what is this guy talking about? Like, I could see him thinking like, is this guy trying to pull one on me or something yeah. like that? Right. And, um, and I'm, he's watching me the whole time because he's seen me like the stack that just keeps going up and up and up. And he's like, there's no way this dude has so much money. (laughs) (laughs) So I come back in and I, you know, and and while I'm talking with my mom, he's going through my stack and, you know, he starts going off there doing it. And, you know, I have the, the, at all cash in hand, you know, had to go there and put back a hand. I had definitely more than, than I was able to cover in that sense. But yeah, after I paid, he asked me, he's like, do you want a job here? And I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? He's like, I just went through all that you bought here. If this is what you're buying, do you want a job here? I'm like flat out asking you if I want a job. And I'm like, of course I want a job here. I did not expect that to be like a question yeah. I asked. And that kind of like, uh, literally I started working there for that rest of that summer. And then the following summer um, down there. And I mean, this, it was a family owned record shop. It was amazing. Like these guys had everything. The oldest son uh, his name's Josh. Josh Deep is what he went by here in Chicago. He's, I mean, probably one of the best house DJs that we had in Chicago for the time that he was DJing full time. Um, and this guy, I mean, he his whole family absorbed music. Like every time a new record would come into the shop, it would be the two of them, the father and the son, mm-hmm. that would first go off there before they they wouldn't even let the record get onto the fucking like shelf or to the like into the bins they would listen to it be like oh i want a copy mm-hmm. and then the dad would be like oh then i'm gonna get a copy too and then they would both have copies and we'd be sitting here like well what are we like people that are gonna come here these guys like i've never like the basement of their house when they lived here in the chicagoland area i mean it was just like rows and rows i mean i'm talking 50k of records wow like fifty thousand records yeah individual individual yeah. records that the two of them had like insane. Are they still around? No, they oh. uh, all now live in California. Oh, and the uh, shop, but the shops like oh just no, gone. the shop is gone. Yeah, yeah, the shop is gone. They so he uh, Houston, who's his name, the the father who him and his wife met at a Led Zeppelin concert back at the Aragon, like back in the seventies. Mm. He, I think he, I'm pretty sure he was a plumber for like most of his life here mm-hmm. in Chicago with the intention of getting enough money and saving enough money to open up a record shop. Yeah. And like fucking did it. Like him and his wife opened this up. All their sons worked there, you know, help. And they actually had not just the, the record store, they had the, the entire strip mall. So they were renting out all the other uh, like shops, all the other spaces in there. So, um, he, so he must've done well for himself. That's a good but, business model. Yeah, it's a great model. And, um, I mean, it was, man, it was dope. We had, 
don't know if you've ever heard of an old Chicago-based um, jazz funk group called Pharaohs. No. Like old school classic. The Their first album goes for like five $600. Wow. It's like super hard collector's item. To find. You can find it here in Chicago. It's not hard to find. <laughs> In Chicago, it'll be cheaper. If you go outside of Chicago, like Europe, it's a thousand dollars for sure. That's like crazy, insane record, but it's dope as hell. Um, they, Josh, somehow or another, convinced um, the Pharaohs to get back together. They hadn't played in years, and they played in the courtyard of Threshold Music. It was one of the most. I had been. A, I mean, I was a fan of their music, so when I realized, I'm like, oh my god, are you kidding me? Like, I'm working at this record shop, and they're going to be playing at the courtyard. Um, but yeah, really cool stuff. I'm mean, gonna have to check that out. And I know, like the one thing I don't know anything about. So I, I grew up in Florida, moved here in 2012. Yeah, 2012. And um, I don't know anything about house music. It's mm-hmm. like I, I never got into it. Yeah. I always like yeah. associated it with techno, and I yep. know that that's you know not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but off mic, sometime we'll have to talk about that. <laughs> sure. Um, one one last question about collecting. But what's been your biggest find in the wild? That's been like the wow. Um, biggest find. Um, that's a good question. Yeah, I mean, it can be something that's like, oh, this has been a whale on my list that I yeah. I've been trying to find, or it can be like, this is a hundred dollar record and it's on for fifteen dollars. For that. sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would actually have to go there and say um, the album I picked up yesterday. Um, <laughs> it was an album that's been on my list. I've seen it forever, but it, you know, it's like I said, it's a forty fifty dollar like record most of the time. Um, it's uh got it it's the album is named the echo it's called echo is why i can't think of it i'm like i want to say bernie worrell it's not bernie worrell um this is what too much time in front of a tv will do for you or a computer <laughs> screen yeah um, no i have to go to discogs to see what things are called yeah i mean it's just stupid that i can't think of his name um of the album echo Either way, I'll, I'll yeah. I'll, don't worry about it. You I'll, can I'll come back into it. But I would say that's just you know it, it's one that I can think of off the top of my head. The other one would probably be the first Janet Jackson album. And this is like super random. Beginning of COVID, um, my wife's parents live in Louisiana, and we wanted to meet somewhere in the middle just so they can go there and hang out with Zayden. So we picked this like random town in Arkansas, mm. and it was an Airbnb that we stayed at pretty racist experience like like it was it was pretty bad like we didn't know how bad we didn't know what to expect we just kind of figured we'd do this yeah so it was like it was a great airbnb we kind of like just stayed there and hung out and did our own thing we didn't really do a whole lot because both user and i kind of had both experiences that were like all right we definitely are not welcome here per se so mm-hmm. but my mentality no matter where i travel to is a find out where anyone's doing like locally roasted coffee and where's a record shop. Like, yeah. No matter where in the world I go, that's kind of my standard. So started looking to find if there's any record shops around there. There was nothing in this town, but about 20 minutes outside of town, there was like a hippie, you know, kind of incense shop that sold, you know, kind of stuff like that. But they happened to have like a tent, a huge tent that had probably two rooms filled with records filled with records and I find this out like I go there I didn't know how many records I had I just said that they sold records there I mean they probably had like 20,000 records in there wow and I didn't find out about this until the last day 
I don't know. It was like five hours before we were going to start like driving off to leave. Yeah. So like Euster gave me essentially, she's like, yeah, go ahead. You know, you got like an hour. So I was like, man, like I got one hour. I got to go to town. Go quick. Yeah. Talk to the owner. Like, is there any order to what they have? And they're like, yeah, it's all like alphabetical. But he's like, it's not broken by genre. Oh. It's just all alphabetical. And I'm like, fuck. So you got like seven, like a thousand classical records you're going, just through. going through. So, I mean, it was like the most speed digging I've ever done in my life. Just like ripping through stuff. The guy owners watch me. He's like, what the heck are you doing, man? I was like, I got a short amount of time, man. Like, Yeah, he's got to go off of, I know this album cover. Exactly. <laughs> that point. It's something that, you know, I, I don't, you know, so couple blind buys yeah yeah and what i had probably earlier that month i did not know that janet jackson put out it's just called janet jackson's her first album i think she's like uh probably 17 18 years of age um find out of the album because of a it was a, on a playlist off of spotify and the cut that i heard was amazing and listen to the album on spotify over of the whole drive up there you know, users like, oh, this is great. Who is this? I'm like, this I've is never even cool. seen this cover before. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the cover. Yeah. That, and so I'm ripping through there and literally in the last, like, minute before I'm like, all right, I got to go to the register, pull that up. And the whole album is just, like, solid. It's a definitely kind of post-boogie, disco, rain, you know, kind of thing. But it's also, like, pop music, right? Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, in the footsteps of her brother and stuff. Um so it's like a common album. Like it's one of those albums that you can find super easy. It's not, ex- you know, I mean, I think I paid two bucks for it. Mm-hmm. But as far as like finds that I didn't know about and the serendipitous of finding it as like the last record in this like hour blitzkrieg of pulling and looking. And uh, that was that was great because it's, it's also just an album that it's I don't think it's left my crate. I bring it like everywhere. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so when did you get into DJing? Man, I'd have to say it was uh, uh, college, really. I mean, I, I worked for so I worked for uh, our like local college radio station, and I was actually in school to go into radio. Did you go to was, school in Illinois? Yeah, Western Illinois. Okay. So they had like a, a pretty decent like broadcasting program over there that I was like pretty interested in. And that's kind of what I was like telling myself like freshman year. I'm, this is what I'm going to do, right? Um, so was fortunate to go there and get a show for the college radio station. I also worked for the top 40 radio station in the town. Mm. So, you know, Macomb, Illinois is a farm town. So they did like, you know, they were the big regional radio station for like the entire county. So we did, you know, things like farm reports to local high school sports to you name it. Um, but either way, I, that's a whole different story as far as radio because <laughs> I saw kind of the beginning of the end where, you know, conglomerates just started buying up radio and it was kind of a blessing in disguise because I was like, all right, this is changing the radio forever. Yeah. You know, decided I was like, now I'm pivoting out. But as far as the college radio station, that's where I was always hanging. So we had like the alternative side of the radio station and you had the urban side of the radio station. The urban side was mainly black folks from uh, St. Louis or Chicago that were mainly doing house music um, and hip hop music. The alternative section was, you know, mostly like punk rock, rock, you know, kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was equal foot in both, you know, kind of worlds, right? I mean, 
Um, definitely loved, you know, grew up listening to 90s, like Smashing Pumpkins and stuff like that. So I was definitely in that, but I also grew up listening to house music. So mm-hmm. um, it was just hanging out with the folks that were on the urban side of the radio station, and they had a, an old Bozak, which is an old, like, rotary mixer. And, um, you know, I would just watch these guys and eventually just started to ask them, hey, can I have you guys kind of show me what's up, how do you guys are actually doing this? I love it. You know, I listen to this stuff. I've never understood how it worked. So, um, yeah, really kind of like got an opportunity to like, they would do things, you know, off hours, right? After 12 o'clock, it would just be people hanging out, smoking weed, you know, in the, in the radio station. So I would just hang out with them and start learning how to use a mixer more so, right? Yeah. Like, if you understand how to use, like, the record part isn't easy. I mean, it isn't hard, right? Like, I know how to put it on, I know how to find a record, but it's really knowing how to use your ear to understand how to, and I, you know, for me, I'm not like a, I wouldn't consider myself a DJ, to be honest. I consider myself a selector, so more of like coming up in that kind of disco and house way of like blending records, right? Like long blends where you're, trying to find obviously the same BPMs mm-hmm. and you're trying to find something that brings together two sounds. But um, like for me, uh, DJs are like hip hop DJs, right? People scratching are scratching. Like, and- like, yeah. You're beat juggling, you're scratching, you're doing a live edit, you're doing uh, something on the spot, right? That's a DJ, right? Like for me, uh, you know, the word is used synonymously, totally understood, but yeah, um, I would not put my, like, for me to call myself a DJ would be, in my opinion, disrespectful to someone that beat juggles, you know, and is able to go there and, like, wow a crowd with technical skills that I don't have. Yeah, So okay. there's a lot of people that, you know, it's just my own thing. Yeah, no, that's a good, I mean, that's a good nuance because I didn't, I, I mean, I know the difference between the two, but I never thought of it in yeah. that way. And then for me, I mean, really, like, what really got me more into, I suppose, not just like DJing, but you know, part of it in just sort of the sense of like, like reggae is a huge influence for me. I was like, Bad Brains were obviously what exposed me to kind of reggae music. And, you know, even before most people were even thinking about reggae, I had found out about it and loved it. And the thing that really got me into DJing was the way that Jamaican folks kind of presented music right they only had like what they would do at these old school dance halls is you, and even today it's it's still only one turntable right you have one turntable you have like your mixer right and you've got all of your um sound you know sort of pieces but it's you know you have someone that's on a microphone that's playing in between song from song right yeah you never had two records in that sense and it was about playing the song right it wasn't about anything else but like getting people to listen to the sound dance to that sound and like you know the culture of 12 inches and dub plates that's all jamaican you know it's all it all is anchored in that stuff so um i Uh, would say that probably has more of an influence like house music is definitely what i grew up listening and, and loving but i think jamaican music is really what got me to understand appreciate dj culture record collector culture and stuff like that that's interesting i started getting more into like the dub stuff and i'm just Mm -hmm. like at the surface of it but i think i only have like king tubby Mm -hmm. i don't yeah i don't have a ton Mm -hmm. it's on my list but i've been listening to it on spotify and stuff yeah yeah Yeah, i mean i would make the statement that without jamaican culture and reggae culture you don't have any form of current dance music at all it all takes its roots from there like the idea of a remix is just the flip side of a 12 inch or a seven inch, which is the dub, mm-hmm. right? Like you had 
someone in the studio trying to drop out a bass or a keyboard part, right? Add some echo in there. That's remix culture before remixes were even, you know, and then you view, you look at the history of, you know, New York hip hop, right? All of the guys that started that, they were all Jamaican. Mm. They're recreating sound systems, but in boroughs in New York, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, so yeah, I, I like it's it's one of those things where the more you read in history, like look at the history, it's like mind blowing how much it was influenced. Yeah, I actually, I was talking to one of your buddies from high school while okay. at the party, and he was telling me that people would be out going out doing their thing, and he said you would just be sitting there listening to albums, like trying to find where a cut was that you could fade into another song and yeah. everything like that. So yeah, it's, yeah, no, I mean it's it's a the for me the like the standard here in Chicago is like you got to know how to blend two records like that's if you can't blend two records together and it's different than mixing two records like mixing two records is like way more technical like more what a like a traditional dj would do blending records is you know a standard in the sense of like you know if you were going to play house music you've got to know how to be able to at least blend the two songs together if you're playing a disco two disco songs like you gotta know how to blend them together so is that primarily the bpms it's like the BPMs, but it's also, um, you know, reading the room, right? So you want to make sure that they're in the same BPMs, but even though you also need to know, like, where the drum ends and where the drum begins, right, for your two songs. So, or you're knowing how to do, like, a long blend, right, where you're taking mm-hmm. a 30-second or 15-second blend, right? Most blends or most cuts are super quick, right, like, mm-hmm. within a second. A long blend especially kind of works with the way a rotary works, right? The rotary... Whereas a regular fader goes up, a rotary fader you have, and you're slowly turning it around. So if you're trying to think of it in the sense of, you know, you're taking these two knobs and you're trying to twist them to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like how I visually kind of like describe it. Obviously, can't see that. Can't see that, yeah. <laughs> a microphone, but. Um, I think it's a good descriptor, though, because it's, I mean, it is always fun. I like to, I like to put on the the sets the dj or dj or vinyl sets on yep. on youtube like while i'm working sometimes yeah 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 and yeah it's uh <coughs> it's definitely a talent something i've like thought about trying to do but haven't had the time to yeah, try and do anything like that definitely yeah i mean it's it's a uh, i mean i try to carve out if i'm lucky you know before it'd always be like an hour a day now it's like an hour every third day yeah. right where i can go there and like I got enough energy, go downstairs, listen, you know. I mean, part of it is more the radio set, the, the residency that I have with this online radio station, right? I've got an hour that I'm doing before. It would be, you know, a residency at Soho House or something where I, you know, and that's, those were four-hour sets, so it would be, you know, having to carve out time to go there and at least do half the set. Yeah. Make, you know, sort of situated, and then most of the other, you know, two hours I can improvise, or if I was with someone else, you know, like a guest or something like that. But, um, but so yeah. you come back from college and you just started looking for gigs in a sense to like no, where to play. No, I didn't. I really didn't. I mean, I wasn't really, I really didn't start like DJing, DJing like as something as a, as a side hustle, side gig. Like moved back to Chicago, uh, like 20 years ago. Mm. Cause I was traveling. I, when I, uh, when I finished undergrad, I was uh, a Peace Corps volunteer actually in Zimbabwe. Mm. So I was uh, in Zimbabwe for, uh, a little under two years and then moved back here to Chicago and um, I did not get to finish my Peace Corps service due to political violence so I had to like terminate early and I wasn't ready to come back because it wasn't like on my 
on my own clock. It was like forced on me. Um, came back to Chicago and it was, it was too much. Like Chicago was just like too fucking much for me after being in a bush, like being literally in the bush for like almost two years. Yeah. No running water, no electricity, like super bare bones. It was actually in the middle of a Cubs game. I was like, I took off. Like I left my friends. I'm like, I'm going home. I can't, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Um, and then someone had told me that Vermont had more cows than people. And like right away I was like, I got to be there. Yeah. If I'm going to be here, this is going to be it. That's awesome. So I moved to Vermont for uh, four years. I was a, an AmeriCorps VIST leader and then went to grad school there um, and just enjoyed being in nature, like being out on the open out there was awesome. Yeah, I do. I want to get to Vermont. That's on the list. For yeah. bre- there's a lot of good breweries there, but oh, also just, great breweries. yeah, I'm sure it's beautiful. Yeah, my friend, when I was living there, worked for Magic Hat, which at the time oh. was like one of the premier. Big craft, big yeah. One. Yeah, big draft. So we would... Dude, the Magic Hat parties were the most epic. Uh, so I had a roommate that worked for Burton, and then our other friend worked wow. for um, uh, for uh, Magic, Magic Hat. Hat. So like the holiday parties were the best. Like the Burton parties were the best. I didn't know is Burton based there. They're based out of Burlington. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're based out of there. They have um, one of the coolest workplaces. Like you know, skate park, like skate ramps all outside, so you can go there and like take your lunch break, go out, ride for a minute. Every single person brought their dogs in. It was like one dog friendly places before it became like, now I think it's more of like a standard, you know, open there. Like I've never seen that many different dogs in one place and no one's barking. No one's like snipping at each other. Um, but they had the, like the most epic, like I can't even talk about some of the shit that went on to these parties. Cause it was just like, what? Um, but yeah, I, I would say I probably started, I started, you know, really kind of telling myself, like, all right, I want to kind of, now that I'm back here, because when I was traveling internationally, you can't really hold on to records, right? Yeah. Like, stuff I had was at my parents' place, and when I was traveling and living there, it's like, if it didn't fit in my Honda Civic, it wasn't going with me. So, yeah. Um, I started picking up buying records again when I lived in Vermont, because where I lived in Burlington had, like great reggae you can find out there tons of like you know good record stores out there montreal was close by so we'd go to montreal a lot i Mm. started really kind of collecting out in montreal um again and then lived in colorado for a little bit lived in india again or lived in india for a while and then moved back here to chicago in 2004 uh yeah 2005 yeah so um so that's when I kind of really, you know, was like, all right, I'm coming back here. I'm going to be here for a while. And I just kind of realized, like, all right, this is the time. If I want to do this, like, might as well go off there and do this now. So I had turntables and stuff that I had in my parents' place. So it was, you know, convenient. You know, I moved to the city, you know, bought what I had. And I lived next door to Dusty, kind mm. of positioned myself close by because I knew that I potentially was going to be – I mean, I would been buying records from them you know, for years at that point. So I already knew what they offered. Um, living next door probably did not, you know, I <laughs> mean, it helped out for sure. Um, could have probably used my money better, you know, at that yeah. time, but you know, that's dangerous for sure. You know, young undone when I was in my twenties. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I, when I was sort of like Googling and searching and trying to find questions to ask you about, I saw, I think it was you did mm-hmm. a set at like a cumbia festival in like 2012 oh, or yeah. something like that. Oh yeah. Like there's just, like, so I didn't even like know what cumbia was until I don't even know, you know, 
five years ago or so yeah. like yeah, you yeah, know? yeah but it's just like wild to me yeah that. yeah that was like I was like another world ago I was um man that was such a wild yeah that was so a buddy of mine uh David Marquez who he lives in Hawaii now um and that was his first iteration of Cumbio Sazo, which was what became uh, like one of the best parties in Chicago. It was at the Double Door before Double Door closed down. And I mean, he'd get like easily like a thousand people in there every once a month. Like he was bringing crazy Cumbia Latinx sounds from like all over the US, but then also internationally. And he is a ridiculous DJ. So he plays. Also, he was um, part of my buddy DJ New Life, who lives in Oakland now, but uh, from Chicago as well. Um, had his party that he had here in Chicago called FedEx or Foreign Exchange, and mm. it was just like a global base night, but really kind of just celebrating music from all over the world. But more so like club culture, as you would experience it in like Africa or in Asia or Europe or wherever. Um, so he's part of that crew for a while, but then he broke off and kind of really focused on this Cumbia Sazo sound and like just crush Chicago. Like it was by far one of the best parties that, that, that Chicago had. That's awesome. But when I did it, it was like before it was, um, it was at a, the Zao art gallery in Bridgeport. I remember that it was like, um, so I think it's still there. I think it's uh, the art gallery is still there, but I mean, we probably had like, 30, 40 people there. Yeah. yeah. So it grew. So, it grew after that. Yeah, it definitely grew. And I think he was, you know, he was doing it just kind of like once a quarter kind of thing where the Cumbia sound kind of like really picked up and I was like digging a lot of it, you know, buying a lot of it. Um, I think he heard some of my, like a little Cumbia set that I had done for uh, my buddy's foreign exchange party at Sub T. I started off one of the sets like doing a little, I think 20, 30 minute Cumbia set. Um, so he was like, oh yeah, I want to do something that's just focused on cumbia. And I was like, I can do it. I probably only have enough for like two hours of music. Right. I was going to so, say, and you were committed to like just being vinyl or he wanted it just being vinyl. That was all yeah, you were comfortable I with. I mean, he, I mean, I've always been vinyl only. Um, I want to say some of the other people that hit CDJs that were there. So, you know, um, so I told him, I was like, you know, I can do that or, you know, he just wanted me and him to go there and play at first, and he added a couple of other people in there. But I just told him, I was like, as long as you're cool with, like, salsa music or other types of, you know, sort of diaspora sounds from Latin America or, you know, um, I can, I've got that, like, Brazilian stuff. And mm -hmm. But he really just wanted, like, cumbia, like, straight, like, cumbia, cumbia only, whether it's new school cumbia, like the bass-heavy kind of stuff, or, like, traditional. And um, so I kind of fit... In both, like I, I had a lot of the traditional stuff, but I also had like the newer stuff as well. So I, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was dope, man. That was that's crazy. I, the was, I'm assuming it's on social media or something like that. It or? was on like a news article or e invite or something. I don't okay, remember. Nice. I, I found that somewhere in that's Google's crazy. depth. Um, but yeah, that's awesome. I actually, I was just thinking about it while you're t saying that. But so the cumbia, I kind of like you know I had heard it, but didn't really know what it was. But then that. I think it's Analog Africa had that Saturno mm -hmm. 9000 or whatever it was. Yep, yep. That's what really like turned me on to it. And that's like the, almost like the dubbed version yeah, of it. For sure. For sure. And that was, I was kind of like, what is this? Like, I need to know more about this. And that's where I started listening to it more. So I, nice. I love that though. But, um, it sounds Quantic. Have you heard of Quantic? Oh, I know Quantic. You know, his, have you heard of his, his, like his Cumbia stuff? 
I probably have. I'm not like I haven't done like a deep dive on oh, him. Dude, he's put out he's put out some amazing like new school cumbia stuff. He has an album, Quantic Barbero Barbero and Orchestra. Um, it's mainly a cumbia like album, but it's got some other kind of like Latin sounds. Um, but like there was this 45 that came with it that has two dub cumbia cuts that are. I, I mean, I played this fucking 45 for... I still do. It's, like, one of my favorite 45s that I own. And the dub cumbia that he... Like, the, the dub version of these original cumbias that he does are just, like, out. Like, just, they're mind-blowing. And he's done... I'll have to have you send that to me later, because I'm looking. I really only primarily have dug into the... Oh, it's, like, newer stuff? Well, A Dog With a Rope, I've heard... I've listened to some okay. tracks off of that. But then the... Um, the one with him, like, I think it's him on the cover, but a new constellation, yeah. So that's, that's a little yeah, different, that's yeah, not gonna be super yeah. different, yeah. He was doing this, I'd say, like 10 12 years ago, where he just like was big into cumbia and Latin sounds. Like, he's like a chameleon dude, like, you know, he can do anything. Like, I mean, I don't know if you know what his early stuff is. His early stuff is like hardcore, like down tempo trip hop stuff, uh, yeah. yeah. Like, his range is like pretty impressive, man. He can he can do just about anything, whereas I think his new album is like more on the dance like kind of disco side of things, yeah. you know. Um, but he, what was it, what did he do? He had, I remember when he had put out this cumbia stuff, he played at some like random place here in the city. And he had, some hard another, and that was when Serato had just kind of started, but he had, like he had found a way, or someone made him for him, like these Serato 45, like, plates right where he was you know it was kind of dumb when you think about it because it's like the whole point of having Serato is you have this record that you know could be needle could be anywhere on the record and it's going to be able to play the sound because it's coming off your laptop mm -hmm. uh, for some reason he instead of playing 45s like made these got these 45 Serato things that he was using it was it was wild I remember and it sounded like crap it was unfortunate it was <laughs> the worst the worst sounding room ever possibly but that's why is the DJ or the I don't feel like call it the DJ or the vinyl community in the sense of playing like that. Is it pretty small here? We kind of like everyone kind of knows each other, or is you think it's like still kind of? I mean, it's 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 grown. I think COVID kind of allowed uh, you know folks that may have just been like playing in their like bedrooms and stuff like that. You know, the opportunity to be able to play in front of people out of their bedroom. Mm -hmm. Right, like with the with the pandemic, mean, I think it created a, a an opportunity for a lot of folks that you know maybe didn't have the confidence or maybe didn't have the exposure, knew how to leverage social media at the time when everyone was on it yeah. and open doors for themselves. And there's a lot more folks that are vinyl only people that are you know kind of getting out and about, which is good, right? Yeah. Like, um, but for the, I mean, like the folks that I am like connected with are all folks that are all in the you know, kind of 40 plus age. So definitely either did it 20 years ago and are still doing it to some degree or like they just stopped completely, right? Because they've got family or kids. So, um, yeah. And it's also just change. I mean, like a lot of it is there's not like, it's very hard to find a place here in Chicago that has equipment that is worth playing on. Okay. Like most of the, because it's, you know, now, you have people that bring their own controllers, you know, which is a route that I've been exploring or thinking about where, you know, they don't have to worry about what uh, a bar or a club has. They just bring their own a controller that has 
everything on it. And the controller is like the, the mixer? Is that the same? It's a, so a controller, like what a controller would be is essentially like a mixer and like, you know, two uh, jog wheels that, you know, you could essentially have like, you know, think about like uh, CDJs, right? Yeah. But, yeah. So it's, but it's all connected as one piece. It's like a piano, like mm. an electric piano. And you can just, you know, it's about that thin. It's not very heavy. Some of them you have to have connected to a laptop. Some of them you don't have to have any kind of screen at all. You can just put like a USB, plug it in, and all of your music will come on like on the screen on the controller. So yeah, like I'm interested in that because like I don't like screens. Like I think it becomes like a distraction. Yeah. But like this idea of just plugging in USBs where I have you know a shit ton of music on, I can just all I would have to do is like, you know, if I wanted to play with someone else, I would just need to bring two USBs plug in. But what's happened is that that with folks that are doing controllers or CDJs, which is an easier setup, right? It's not as big. It doesn't require as much maintenance. Turntables are just kind of gone by the wayside. So yeah. a lot of times they're like being pulled off. Like I've been to places where they're pulling it out of like a closet and I'm like, oh my God, like this thing hasn't been cleaned or like serviced. And it's like, you can't, you know, part of it is you have to know how to track a record and all these things that need to be maintained in order for a record player to be effective and to be used and try to mix so there is just not a culture of that and then the other part is that people that are using serato um they tend to they're not really using like serato is just a like the the serato record is just simply acting as a conduit right mm -hmm. it's giving the needle and that record that's got like chips inside of it the ability to be able to read music so it doesn't need to be um service in the same way that someone that was using it just for like records would be yeah so a lot of times like i know if a serato dj had played the night before because everything is just wild out like the record player is just in crap condition like they've beat the crap out of it so you know part of it is just not having um as many places and then there's the pay piece right like i get paid less now than i did 20 years ago yeah right and that's because you have a uh you know, uh, a laptop person or someone who, you know, I mean, I, how many times have I been asked by bar owners, like, they'll bring their phone and be like, can you play this song off my phone? And I'm like, no. Yeah. I've got, like, two crates of records behind me. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not, if that's what you want, you can come do it. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not playing your, <laughs> I'm not playing your song or your playlist. Friends, or, yeah. like, yeah, you know, song that they have on their phone because they want to hear it. Like, you know that I'm doing a vinyl only night, so if you want someone to play off a phone, hire them to go there and do that. Yeah, it's definitely more of like a niche thing now. Like, I guess only certain people would it appreciate is. I mean, it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, it, it is niche, but there's, I mean, there's places that are there. Like, there are plenty of places that are doing it, but I would say the amount of people that are playing is a much smaller, like, circle of people. Yeah. Right, per se, in that way. I met somebody at this uh, coffee. I don't know if they roast their own stuff or what, but Happy Monday it's called. Okay. Um, they're up in Edgewater area, but then they also have a spot downtown by my office. And um, I met one of the baristas there, was starting to do, and I'm trying to remember what it was called, and I'm looking, and I can't find it. But she was doing like a um, uh, My Analog, I'm like blanking right now. Oh, my analog journal? Yeah, my analog journal, but like okay. doing it in Chicago. Oh, okay. She, yeah, yeah, they were filming it at a coffee shop. I want to say it was in, yeah, Pilsen or something okay. like that. Nice. But they were like 
and, but they haven't done it in a, a while. Uh-huh. It had been like on the hiatus for a few months. But I was like, that's kind of cool that they're, somebody's doing that yeah, in the for city. Sure. For sure. No, because I mean, that's, it's like you're, you know, you're, those are mainly just European folks. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and, and the European thing is a whole different world. Yeah. Know, that compared to here. Did you ever uh, make music yourself or like trying to do beats or anything? Um, no, not, like, I mean, I play like music in the sense of like drums and like bass guitar and trumpet and stuff like that. But I've never, I'm like, I'm interested. I'm trying to figure out what's like now that I'm at 46, got a kid, like much more of a homebody than I was, you know, up till six years ago <laughs> in many ways. But figuring out what, like, what is the next kind of like path for me in the sense of, like I already know of samples that I have all throughout my collection, like hooks and things that I know that would be a great sample to like go into a production environment and use to go there. And um, I've helped give samples, like I've given Bollywood breaks to friends to go there and make beats and stuff like that. So um, I know what the breaks would be, but it's you know it's a much more time committed thing. Yeah. Um, and then the other route being going down the controller route, right, which would allow me to do what I've been doing, but um, do it in a way that also helps, like, set up something like Zayden, right? Because mm-hmm. the controller becomes something that it's eventually a lot easier for him to kind of, like, work. Um, and in some way that he would be able to enjoy with me as well. Like, I want him to obviously know records. He already knows about them. You know, he knows how to pick it up and do all those things. But um, it, and part of it is also is just... I also know that I am boxing myself out of all this music that is being shared online and people that are doing mixes and remixes and edits and stuff like that that I'm not even exposed to. And I know friends that, you know, are in that world and some of the stuff is amazing. I mean, it's mind-blowing. So I'm realizing, like, part of me is like, man, I want to be able to listen to some of that stuff. Most of it's never going to be pressed on wax because these guys are, you know, doing it, you know, every day or every other day. So... Um, There's a lot of legal hurdles now, too, where it's like... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So this is something like someone shares it. You know, they're not looking to make money off of it. They're just sharing it because they want people to, like, listen to it. Yeah. So, um, and a lot of times you're getting it from the artists themselves, mm-hmm. right? They'll actually do a remix and then go off there and share it or share the stems so that someone could take it, play with it, do their own version of it, their own edit of it. So... Yeah. Um, I'm, in- I'm, in- I'm in- interested. I just... For me, the controller thing would be easy because it's you know I've I've used them in the past so I know, but if I were to go make beats, I would want to you know probably get something more traditional like an analog sounding like MPC player, yeah, right, something that will sound good with my source samples, yeah. Whereas I wouldn't want to go a digital route, right? Like I'd want to be able to kind of value all that I have with the records and kind of I mean I I can hear the difference between a machine and a yeah, MPC player. Like For you, sure, you can definitely hear the difference in sound. And I just, I've always gravitated towards the MPC. This morning it was funny. Um, Foster, I had a, a track from Donuts, mm-hmm. and it was playing. And Foster's like, "What are all these noises?" Like he was like, nice. "What? What is this?" Nice. And I mean, he, I've played Dylan in front of him before, or whatever. But it was kind of like that teaching moment where. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not going to be able to probably find a video of Dilla doing it. So I pulled up a Ninth Wonder video of him like making a beat with nice. an NPC. And I was showing it to him this nice. morning and he was kind of nice. like, can you do that? And I'm yeah. like, A, no, <laughs> B, I don't have an NPC. <laughs> but it's just, yeah, it's awesome seeing 
yeah. everything through their eyes and yeah wanting to teach them yeah that stuff for sure like that's for me it's been a big like uh when the pandemic started you know just like everyone else got all this time you're buying stupid shit that you don't need to be buying somehow or another i convinced myself to buy him a big bird if you remember the old school uh record players i don't know if they, they were when i was around they were growing up but they were um what's the brand Fisher Price. Yeah, I have one. Okay, and it, like broke, like broke. Okay, yeah. So I like for for whatever reason they're like collectors' items. Yeah, like they're like they go for like five six hundred dollars. Yeah. So I went down this rabbit hole this day where I was just like five six hundred dollars for this big bird like thing. I'm like, nah, bro. I gotta find them cheaper. So like through a whole day of going through eBay, I found a guy that had two of them, and he was asking one hundred and fifty dollars for each of them. And he didn't have a needle or anything like that, but I was like, oh, I can buy a needle pretty easily online as well for this thing. But the reason I was looking at two specific years, because most of them are just plug-in. Like you have to put a user plug. The ones that are from like 1980 and 1981 um, have uh, both a plug as well as uh, can be battery operated. So I was like, oh, definitely want to get the battery operated one. Mm -hmm. It's like perfect if we're on a road trip, want to be able to go there and like stop somewhere. So I got him one and I got myself one. That's so, awesome. you know, uh, we were going to give it to him for Christmas, but he's still, I think he needs like another, like I think by the time he turns five, he'll be like mature enough not to like whew, yeah. you know, throw a 45 versus like, all right. Because uh, he knows how to take it off uh, and put it on and put it into the sleeve, but like, you know, he has no clue yet how to put like the actual right. needle on. So yeah, I Foster helps me with like the the like dust brush, but that's about, that's about how he's doing it because it's it's up higher. It's, yeah. it's like I had to be like holding him to hold the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Too yeah. dangerous. <laughs> um, no, but I have a old like Sony super like a cheaper uh, turntable that is just like one of the automatic arms press and play. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna break that Perfect. out downstairs at some yeah. point for him when yeah. when he's ready for it. Um, so you had mentioned earlier uh, about the Radio Alhara. Mm-hmm. And so I just I wanted to ask, it's a Palestinian radio station. You were mentioning it's like an online radio station. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? Like, how are you? Because you're, you're just doing like sets for them or what, what was you? Yeah, I mean, they I mean, you know, for me, we found um, I we found them during the pandemic is when they they came out as they came up and, and started as a result of the pandemic. Just wanting to have you know, a place for local music and local contributors. So found them and like just love their programming. It's just like unlike any other. Like I'm a big fan of NTS and you know obviously what Giles Pearson has done with um, you know stuff that's happening out of Europe. But this was just like you know selectors and musicians and artists from the Middle East and a lot of them just like finding new sounds that I've never heard before. So for me that's that's always a goal, right? Like consume, but consume new, not mm-hmm. consume the same shit over and over again. So I was just like loving their programming and the transition had kind of happened where I was like, all right, I'm kind of done with playing out, you know, um, just not the same level of appreciation. Right. And like, I was like, this is COVID kind of gave people the green light to kind of show their ugly side. Right. Like in nightlife culture, like, mm-hmm. it, like nightlife culture for me just drastically changed after COVID. Like it wasn't, it wasn't the same as it was before. Um, and I was, you know, playing, I mean, I've been a, I was a resident at Soho House at, at Fox Bar for like eight years. And I 
you know, knew what the first six years was like. And then the two years of COVID, it was just a whole different experience. And, you know, people were willing to show their ass in ways that I was like, nah, I'm not down with this. Like, I don't need to be in that kind of environment. So it was like wanting to, you know, making that transition, but also knowing that part of why I did it was psychologically I needed four hours or I need a couple hours every month just to like share music. Like mm-hmm. that for me was creative outlet. Yeah. Creative yeah. outlet. Right. Like I, I, I needed that. So I was like, where, how am I going to find that without having to kind of deal with the road bumps of, you know, playing for four hours and getting less money than I did 20 years ago. It's like, it's not, you know, like it's not about the money for me, but at the same time, it's the money has always been nice because it helped allow me to continue to dig. Yeah, right? like I didn't have to spend my own money on records. I just would use the money that I got from gigs to kind of sustain that part of my life. Um, and I'm just not buying records as much. And a lot of it has been like you know being more selective with what I'm purchasing and what I'm finding and what I want to uh, and 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 do with those sounds. So for me, it was just a flat out like I'm like you know what I love this, these guys do. Let me reach out to them and see if they have any openings. And he had the uh, Syed, who's one of the guys that runs the station, you know, said he's like, you know what, we're pretty like full right now. But he's like, why don't you just send me some links of mixes that you have? He like reached back out the next day. He's like, uh, actually, we have a slot available. <laughs> something <on>. just opened. <laughs> something just opened. Uh, would you be willing to do like Fridays at one o'clock, like Palestinian time, one o'clock in the afternoon? I'm like, uh, sure. <laughs> I'm like, doesn't you know, matter. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't matter. He's like, he's like, he's, but it's gonna be like five o'clock, six o'clock in the morning for you in Chicago. I'm like, I don't, don't, I don't give a shit, dude. That's yeah. for me. This would be dope because it would allow me to then not have to think about four hours every month with the regular like residency out in nightlife, but it's only one hour, and I get to go there and and that's been my thing for the last like I'd say probably the last four years is like making a point of every month. Like what I would do with my sets is that I would focus on my one hour of the four hours as something that I would record also. Because part of what I, you know, most of the music I have, you can't really find it anywhere else besides Wax. Mm -hmm. So I want to be able to have a record of that when I'm I'm listening to the car. Like when I'm driving around, I want to be able to listen to my collection, which is not easy to do in a car. So make a one hour recording of what will be one hour of a four hour set. Yeah. So that's been kind of like what I've been doing forever. So then when these guys were saying they only wanted a one hour set monthly, I was like, word, like I've been doing that shit. It's on auto. For me, it's like on auto at this point, right? It's more about finding and figuring out what that first song is going to be and then kind of using that to build upon. Or if there's like a theme like this last month because of what's going on in the humanitarian crisis in, in Palestine, they've changed their um, programming to like not be what people would normally do like they want things that they call kind of like a sonic protest music that or spoken word or things that are allowing people to kind of understand the history of what's going on there um i I mean i have arabic music but it tends to be more of like dancier like habibi funk yeah like more upbeat stuff they're definitely not groove yeah yeah yeah, they're not looking for that's what i would normally do most of my sets are you know that incorporate some of that in there so um, I just did like an all kind of like free jazz, jazz kind of contemplative kind of set that like I think emotionally is 
where and the first song is a Coltrane cut called Alabama, which takes it was written after the riots that happened in Alabama in the '60s. So yeah, um, it it's anchored in some of obviously what's happening um, out there as well. But yeah, it just came out kind of organically, and it's literally been the saving grace for me because it's like I can do this and be good to go. Like maybe do a gig out live like once a quarter. I'll, that's good. Yeah. And you have would, to let me know when your next one is. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, it would most likely be something that I do with like other guys that I know that have got kids. Yeah. You know, like we're trying to figure out something that we can do like once a year, or twice a year, or something like that. And I know, so you call the shows Audio Alchemy. Is that your choice? Yeah. Okay. Because yeah, I, I noticed that, like, so on your mix cloud, you had some other stuff that was like Sound Clash. Oh yeah. So what's is Sound Clash like? Sound- I, I noticed you were like blending genres with that, maybe mm-hmm. more so. Yeah. So Sound Clash was what my residency at Soho was for uh, like eight years. Okay. So basically, I just kind of like made it easier. It was like an outlet, like kind of what I was saying, right? Like I would, mm-hmm. you know, I was doing these, you know, doing gigs there once a month, and um, and that's the same. Yeah, it, that was my mentality, right? Like it's literally blues to house music and everything else in between so open format but not like open format the way that club djs would play it right like it would be um like my mentality at times is <clears throat> like i like playing stuff that's super fucking weird in the beginning of the night yeah like i kind of think of it as like musical sage right like if if this stuff irks you what i'm playing right now please get out because <laughs> it's not going to get any more normal. Like I'm not going to play any pop music. I'm not, you're not going to hear me play Beyonce. I'm not got no Drake. It's like, that's not part of what you're going to hear at all. So yeah, the idea is to set like the framework of like, okay, if you like this, then great. You're in for a treat. I'm going to throw a bunch of curveballs at you the entire night. But the idea was also based off of like sound clashes are your Jamaican thing. Right? Oh, okay. like that's what sound clash in the sense came from where you would get two different um so when you talk about a sound clash it's like two crews that have their own like speakers right so you would have like this crew that has all of their speakers and they're like two and then in jamaican kind of tradition the the, the dj was actually the mc right so it wasn't so you know you would have the selector who was the dj um, and you'd have like, you know, three or four selectors and a couple of DJs that would be rocking the mic, but you had two different sounds that were clashing each other. And the idea was whoever the crowd gave the most love to won the sound clash. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like a, like a beat battle, kind of, kind of like a beat battle. Yeah, yeah. The original, like kind of like beat battle. If you want to think of it like that, like, like I said, Jamaican tradition culture, like informs all of what is modern urban music in my opinion did you just read a lot of like books about this or like, yeah, okay. oh, yeah, yeah yeah i've been like immersed in it since you know since like high school and college and um yeah for me reggae is like kind of foundation for just about everything like it's the one when i was a a peace corps volunteer like i would do these trips to my students homes and just to get out get a chance to meet them and i would back then i had a this is like 99, so I'm dating myself here, but I had an old CD, like portable CD player with little like plug-in speakers, super basic, super, but I would bring that with me because I would always know the kids would love it. Mm-hmm. And most of these families that I would visit, my students' families, like couldn't speak a lick of English. Mm-hmm. But the first night, I did this for about a year. First night, I put in Bob Marley's, um, what's the, 
famous uh, album of his. Is it X? No, the the compilation. Um, you know what I'm talking about. I, is it him on the cover? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 you know, I had it on on a CD, and I would put the CD in. They knew every word to every song, you know, and I was blown away because I'm like, we can't speak a word of English to each other, but we can look at each other when this Bob Marley song is playing, and there's like an understanding, an understanding, yeah. right? And I was like, yeah, reggae really runs the entire fucking world. Like, there's no part of the world that reggae isn't loved and appreciated. Doesn't mean that everyone understands the history or not. I don't care. Yeah. It's the fact that people can connect with the music or the words that Marley talked about, right? They resonate with people everywhere. Um, so, yeah, the Sound Clash kind of like idea was, right? Because um, I would have a lot of friends that would be guests, right? Like, I would basically do one month by myself, the following month with the guest, following month by myself following month with a guest um so the idea was two record collectors all of which both of them are got deep collections right they've been doing it for a while get an opportunity to have these two people bring their collections and do a night so um so that was kind of what my six years at or yeah almost eight years at, at soho was and then i just kind of you know would make an hour mix take an hour that I had of that four hours and be like, all right, I'm going to make, take a, like an hour's worth of music from that four hour set and just say, I'm going to make a mix out of that. So I have something to kind of like portfolio. For. Yeah, yeah. Portfolio is basically right. I mean, not even a portfolio. It was more about, like I said, I just, when we take road trips, I, I want to listen to what I have. Yeah. If I can't listen to it, otherwise. This is, I was, I was listening to some of them today, but this is really random, but volume eight of soundtrack. <laughs> Is it? Do you have Zayden's voice in the beginning of one of them? Wait, it was from like so late 2020, so he would have been like tracking with Foster, like almost like around a year old or so. It's a Sound Clash mix. Sound Clash Volume Eight. Oh, okay. I'm just gonna go and pull it up. On yeah. That. No, you're good. Uh, I, while you're looking at that, I'd, I'll say the other thing you have on there that I think was cool is the label watch, and I think it's International Anthem that you have on oh, your yeah. mix cloud. But. Yeah, that's uh, that was my buddy King Hippo that um, did. Um, that oh you know that's a fortet song oh okay I, when i heard i that's heard it and i was like i looked at whenever you released it and yeah, i was yeah, like yeah, yeah. that's right around when he probably would have started like talking and yeah. i was like yeah no that's uh, uh not I'm that's hilarious. looking at the, the cover of it i'm like oh yeah yeah no that's a um, fortet <coughs> um not off of rounds but it's the album that came after rounds um I'm one of my favorite artists. I don't know if you know Fortet or... I only right. know him very briefly. Didn't Madlib just come out with something with him? Yeah. So, I mean, what... Uh, Madlib produced the album... Or no, that's... A Fortet Madlib produced album. his Fortet album, produced, Sound Ancestors or something. Yes. Yeah, he that's right. produced the album, um, which is, like, dope because, you know, Fortet actually did a Dillo remix. I don't know if you... Should, I didn't know that. No. Oh, yeah, man. He does a... He does a remix of a... Um, what's the... It's a, I mean, it's, it's a really quick, cause it was, I think it's one of the last things that he had worked on before he passed, if I'm correct. Um, but he's also done like, uh, as serious as your life, as serious as your life with gets. guilty Simpson. Yeah. With guilty Simpson. And him, it's, it's a, like a proper remix, right? Where when I think of a remix, I don't want to hear 
the complete original song and I want to hear like a mutated version of that right like it's yeah. you're taking elements of the song and he takes like the guitar loop um, and something else and he reworks it completely different it's got Guilty Simpson um, you know on it uh, it's dope it's a uh, I'll check that out because I see the Dylanthology album or something I'll, to, I'll figure it out I mean fortunate also there's another uh, remix project that he did for Mad Villain I don't know if you've ever seen oh. Oh yeah, got to check that out. Those Fortet Mad Villain remixes are ridiculous. Like Rhinestone Cowboy, um, Meat Grinder, like the flips that he does are just wild. Um, yeah, I'd say like in my opinion, the most important artist of the last 20 years and I would say Fortet Fortet yeah for sure like, I was just looking at Dylanthology too where that Fortet remix is on it's only on CD I was gonna see if it was on vinyl it's on vinyl I mean, oh I, maybe it's yeah. not it's a 12 inch oh okay it's okay. on 12 inch yeah yeah they put a it's a yeah I mean I have the I'll find it I'll find yeah. it yeah it's, um, so I will uh, I'm gonna just jump to coffee for a second because sure. I know you're a sure. big coffee for sure. fiend um, Fiend sounds bad, but <laughs> I, li- I love coffee too. Yeah, but um, I guess yeah. Like, what's what's your favorite coffee shop in the city? Is there like like what got you into coffee? Um, I, I mean, what got me into coffee was uh, was my experience with intelligentsia here in, in the city. I was I've always grown up drinking chai and drinking tea, right? Coming from an Indian household, so yeah. it's always been my standard in coffee. I just never. I never had a good experience with it, like, especially in college. Like, it just, you know, I'd always joke, like, you'd have to give me a roll of co- uh, toilet paper to go there and have coffee, right? Like, it's like, drink it right away in the bathroom. Yeah. It's like, fuck that. I didn't enjoy it. Tea was something that gave me what I needed, gave me that boost. Um, so I was working at an immigration law firm. This is, like, right when I moved back to Chicago. I was thinking about going to immigration law, uh, pursuing a, a JD in it. Figured I'd want to go there and work at an immigration law firm because that's what I was... If I was going to do law, it would have been that. Uh, one of the partners had taken me to, at the time, uh, I think it was the second intelligentsia that was in the city. It was the one that's right off of uh, Randolph. Um, yeah, right. And, yeah. yeah, that's one by my office. Yeah. Okay, right. So this is at a time when they had, this was like 2005. So they were still like a not known kind of commodity, right? They were super small, super tiny. At the time, they had a clover machine, which made these, like, individual cups of coffee. But it took, like, four or five minutes. So there'd be a line out this door. You know, people that heard about what Intelligentsia was doing, they made these, like, crazy cups of coffee. People were in it. They were waiting in line. I was waiting in line with this partner, and I'm just like, what the, what, like, what the fuck is all this? Like, well, yeah, what's all the hype about? What's all this hype about? Like, this is insane. We're waiting for a coffee. It's taken us 15 minutes to get in. You know, then we have to wait another five minutes to get to make the order. Then we got to wait another 10 minutes. I'm like, I've got work to do. You know? Yeah. And he's like, I'm the partner. You don't have to worry about anything. You're going to enjoy this cup. Of, you're you're going to come and have this cup of coffee with me. And I told him, I was like, I don't drink coffee. It's like messes with my stomach. And he's like, well, whatever you want to get, you get. So I get to the counter and I order like a black tea. Right. And the guy behind the, uh, at the shop was like, question, why, why are you ordering tea here? I was just like, coffee just messes with my stomach, man. I just, I've always been a tea drinker. He was like, here you go. Here's a cup of coffee on the house. Drink it, you know, you can drink it black as it is, or if you want to put cream, whatever. But like, I firmly believe this cup of coffee is not going to give you the same stomach problems that you're talking about. 
So I was like, all right, great, whatever. You know, like went back. I had a cup of coffee, a cup of, coffee, tea, a cup yeah. of tea, you know. And I was like, screw it. I'll just drink the coffee. And, you know, I had it black. I didn't have anything in it based on his recommendation. And it was unlike anything I've ever tasted. Like, tasted all these crazy flavors in there that I was like, I remember going back to him and being like, did you inject something into this coffee? Yeah. Like, and he's like, nope, that's just like, that's just the coffee. Like, it's literally just ground. And it was made in this, this clover machine that was extracting crazy kind of flavors with like, they had the science behind the extraction process down. Um, they eventually let let go of the machine because it was just not a very good business model. Yeah, right. Like I remember, Starbucks had one for a while. Starbucks too. had one for a while too, and they could do it because they had the volume right that they were yeah. working at. But it's still such a time process thing. It's just not like it's it's not really a great business model. Yeah, in the sense of like, there's no engagement. Right. It's just like you're waiting for this. Whereas. You know, the slow pour, pour over coffee thing is a different thing because you might see someone make it. You can talk with people. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, for me, that was kind of it. Like, I learned about them and just kind of learned about who they were and their approach, especially with Intelli's approach to, um, you know, really anchoring the communities that are, like, growing coffee, right, and being able to ensure that they were getting paid paid a fair amount for their work and considering it's, like, really tough, demanding, like, out in the sun all day long. Like, it's not easy work. Mm-hmm. Um, and just ethically, I, like, anchored and, and, and found uh, parallels with just the way that I've done my own work, you know, education and so forth. So, yeah. um, so really loved them, like, talked about them all the time. Like, like literally anyone that would give me a time of day I would talk about their coffee and like drank it as much as I can and um, yeah man like kind of used that like I was saying earlier like I had a point where I left academia didn't really know want to go back to it took time to travel and um, in my head I've always thought about this idea of a coffee shop record shop kind of idea yeah. and now with you sir she's an amazing baker like it definitely is something we're planning is like a pre-retirement thing that's awesome yeah sam always joked i mean i'm not as into coffee or as vinyl as you are but yep. sam always joked with me that we needed to open yeah like some kind of like cafe coffee and record shop <laughs> yeah i mean it's you know two things that it's like it's not like, not like big money makers like there would have to be some other thing i feel like that would be needed to like bring like customers and like you know the volume that something would, with a higher margin and yeah, bring more people in. Yeah. yeah, I mean I've been thinking of I got a couple of different like ideas I think would make sense like ten years from now mm-hmm. based on just like different trends that we're seeing now. But but yeah, I mean I like I said I was you know figuring out if, if I'm going to do something like that I should learn and I should learn from like the ground up like not cut any corners like really understand it and because I love them so much I went to the Worker Park one that was by me, they had just filled up um, the last spot. He said he knew the guy that ran the Blake Logan Square one, gave my contact information, passed on. Guy reached out to me, um, and it was like it was the most humbling thing I've ever done because you know I went from being a an assistant professor and director for a study abroad office for a college here in, in Chicago to being a barista making minimum wage i remember the second day that i was at the register i had two of my former students like come up to the register and i was like oh this is that moment like this is that moment where the one student's like mr thomas yeah like what are you doing what are you doing and i was just like 
hey, how you guys doing? What can I get you guys? You know, and I was like eating, feeling like I was eating crow, but I was like, what I appreciate about what Intelli did was like they took coffee and tried to bring that, I don't know if you're familiar with like a Vec or any of these like high-end kind of Michelin restaurants, yeah, right? Like yeah. bringing that kind of approach to service and to like coffee consumption, but like, you know, creating kind of a standard of, you know, what they think is good coffee and like, you know, ethically bound, but then also like staying true to themselves. Like, like we know what our jam is, is like uh, light roast and middle roast, you know, medium roast coffees. And they yeah, just like excelled at it. And they two hours of training every week that everyone had to work there. So part of it was like developing the vocabulary and like the ability to understand how to talk about it. Yeah. And the Logan shop was dope because I don't know if you've ever been to it. It's I haven't called Pedestrian Coffee. It's a, it's a, there's not like another coffee shop that's like in the way that they designed it. So it's basically a big rectangle. Everyone, it's like, um, how would I say it? Um, basically everyone works inside the square and the seats are all around it. So what you're uh, doing, so like the whole point is like we were kind of like the premier slow coffee bar for them in the sense that if you work there, you are really trying to make a name for yourself and doing pour over coffees because you're doing the coffee right in front of the person. Yeah. So like if you knew how to communicate and you were like an outgoing person, you you would thrive because you would be on the inside making a pour over for someone sitting on the outside. And you're talking about the coffee with them, yeah. right? Like they're getting to ask questions about like, well, why do you do this? And why do you do that? And if you talked about it, you know, what you would do is, what I would do is I would, my goal would be like, I'm going to sell fucking Chemex to you. Yeah. I'm going to sell you a fucking bag of coffee. So that by the time you come out of here, you're not just buying a $4 coffee. You're spending 50 to 70 bucks. And that's like kind of what also got me transitioned me into sales what I'm currently doing now was was working at Intelli because I was like oh, I could do this I didn't get I that can... Siri just uh, jumped in <laughs> um, so yeah it was it's just a, it was a whole different kind of experience in the way that people were experiencing coffee they would you know get to like we would go off there and make a point right like we would have days where we had um, the same coffee that we were doing on pour over we also did as an espresso Hmm. So you could then be able to sell the person of like understanding that like most people think espresso is more caffeine than like regular coffee. It's not mm-hmm. it's just like regular cup of coffee is a lot more caffeine, but it's the taste aspect, right? Like a pour over coffee is going to be a much different tasting version of an espresso, which has got high pressure and it's, you know, being you're, you're putting a lot of water and a lot of pressure to bring out this like small amount of coffee. Mm-hmm. So, like my point would always be like, oh, you're gonna have a pour over. You should probably have an espresso as well, just to be able to get like this range of this single coffee bean and seeing how it tastes differently depending on what method you're brewing it on. Mm-hmm. So it was like a really geeky. Like everyone that worked there was a big fucking coffee nerd. Like loved. It was a perfect environment for me to kind of be and absorb. Um, but it was wild because I mean I was the oldest person by like ten to fifteen years. Yeah, that worked there. It was, you know, it was it was kind of funny. I, I was a full time at that point in my life. I'd still been a full time bike bicyclist, so I was riding my bike in and out. Saw Logan go, f- like, do this crazy hyper gentrification that 
having lived in Wicker Park and saw so much of that gentrification, living there in 20 years, what took Wicker 20, 25 years to like gentrify to where it's at now, Logan did in like five years. And I saw all of it right in front of me on like Milwaukee and that like Kedzie yeah. intersection. It was it was wild um, to see that. And I've got a background in urban planning, so it was like some of the things that I was reading about three, four, five years ago, like seeing it happen right in front of me, like families being kicked out, artists literally moving in like the following week. I was like, wow, this is this is literally like. Um, a real life textbook textbook version of like city evolving good bad or ugly you know yeah um <coughs> so uh I'm, we're gonna jump to the rapid fire questions next yeah. but before that where can people find you on mixcloud or wherever you want them to find you if um mixcloud is i've got a mixcloud and a soundcloud page the Mixcloud, I think, is just um, think CW77. Yeah. yeah, CW77. Yeah, so Mixcloud.com. I did um, not dive into the SoundCloud one yet. So. so SoundCloud, I've only got, I've actually got, like, there's three mixes on there because they <coughs> give you the <coughs> sorry, the ability to do three free mixes. So I think I have a link on my Mixcloud. Okay. But there's my first three sound clashes are on there. Oh, gotcha. Um, are on there. And one of them, the third sound clash is actually... Um, it was uh, done uh, right after Zayden was born. Okay. So it was kind of like dedicated to, to, to him in that sense. Um, but in all honesty, like these three mixes are probably some of my favorites because they were right when I was saying like, all right, I'm going to use my night at Soho to like start creating sort of a portfolio or, you know, whatever. Um, but that's also just soundcloud.com backslash cdub77, I think, as well. Same same kind of handle for both of them. Very cool. Um, all right, so five rapid-fire questions. Let's do it. Favorite beverage. doesn't have to be alcoholic or anything. Um, oh, you know what? I wanted to ask you. This might be the answer for this. What's your go-to order when you go to a coffee shop? Oh, go-to? Um, because I do pour-overs at home, like Monday through Friday. It's a Usually it's a red-eye or a... Uh, a latte with an extra extraction. Okay. Yeah. Usually right. it's a latte because I just don't get to have like espresso at home. Yeah. Um, All right. So Sorry. Def- yeah, yeah. No, that would definitely <laughs> I meant to ask you that before. And then like favorite drink. Oh, man, I'm simple. Like uh, a good bourbon neat. All right. Cool. Yeah. All right. Number two, a song everyone should listen to. Oh. And so this is going to be a Spotify playlist where I'm putting everyone's pick yeah. on it. Um, I would say right now, because I've been listening to so much jazz because of what's going on right now in Palestine, um, John Coltrane's Alabama. Cool. There, so I, I I listened to that set, and I was looking up about that song, and I know there's like a couple recordings of yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's a hard, it's like the one I have is a, it's, it, it, it's this, that, that's, that, that version that I play in that mix, it took me 20 years to find that version. Because most of the other versions are live versions, yeah. and I don't like playing live songs on like sets or anything like that. I think that. I saw the first time it was released yeah. was on live. It was live, and I was like, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was, uh, I think that was a dusty find um, to find that because I knew it was on that record. It was just, it was hard to like find this. I think it's like a best of from John Coltrane, like uh. random one that you can find for like ten bucks, but it's the only one that has. The studio, live, uh, version studio recording of, of it of Alabama, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, number three, favorite concert you've been to? Oh god, 
Prince at the Metro free show uh, back when I first moved back to Chicago. He's playing at the United Center. They announced right when the concert started that uh, Prince was going to be playing for free at the Metro that evening. And I was driving, I was working for the immigration law firm. I was driving back to my suburb, to the my parents' place where I was living at the time in the south suburbs. And I'm hearing this and I'm like, are you kidding me? I called up all of my friends. I'm like, yo, Prince is playing for free at the Metro late night, like 12 o'clock start time. Like, let's go. And no, everyone was busy or they were tired or, you know, I was just like, are you kidding me? Prince is playing for free at the fucking Metro, dude. Yeah. No one rallied with me. I went by myself, sat in line, took me about two hours to get in. Yeah. Best performance ever, ever. Prince at one point went and played on every instrument. Like, he went from drums to bass guitar to guitar to, like, saxophone. Like, it was unreal, man. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Uh, So, favorite place to have a drink or that you've had a drink? Good question. Um, It would be, like, an established kind of place? Well, I mean, mean, some people have said, like, oh, yeah, I, I... uh, my brother was playing this show in the middle of Iowa and we were like, oh, yeah. I sure. like I had a PBR there and it was just like the experience, like the yeah. ambiance yeah, of yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's a great question. I would say favorite place. I would say the favorite place that I've ever had a drink and just because of the location, but kind of similar, the moment that I had that I got to share with uh, these people, it would be Cape Town, South Africa. Like, you know, it was uh, at a hotel restaurant where you had 360 views of the ocean, the city, and then the mountains behind you. So that was just like, uh, it was pretty surreal. That's awesome. And number five, and I'm trying to think of a way to reword this question because I some people have made me feel bad for using the term guilty pleasure, but what's your guilty pleasure for music? <laughs> oh, God, my guilty pleasure for music? Um... It'd be pop music. I don't really listen to like pop music at all. Like I'm not like user is like complete pop music like diehard. Yeah. So she's always just like, You don't know this? I'm like I know I don't. So my guilty pleasure has been finding stuff that I listen that she listens to that I'm like, oh, this is kinda, this is all right. it's yeah. kinda dope. Uh like Dua Lipa. Like that's like I would say my biggest find from her because I don't know if you've heard her album. It's, it's I've cool. seen her perform on like some of the award shows and stuff, but I don't really. Oh man, she's a talent, dude. She's a, an amazing talent. Her music is like phenomenal. It's like really. Good. It reminds me of like Michael Jackson like level pop. Isn't she like Albanian? She's Albanian. Yeah. yeah, like but based out of London, I think. Yeah. But like you know. If you told me before that I would have like listened to Alipa, I was like, no way. But then when I listened, like the one song that she had, like I got into it, and then um, then I heard the whole album, and I was like, oh, I gotta buy this. This is so good. It's like it'd definitely be, yeah, pop, good pop music, which is yeah. not always easy to come by. But um, yeah, I would say Dua Lipa has definitely been like a guilty pleasure of sorts. Like my cousins give me crap for it all the time. But, <laughs> You, Mr. Reggae house guy, like, like yeah. Leap, I'm like, that's the beauty of music, man. Like, it's just another language, right? You connect with it, and you know, 
it doesn't mean that you can't like this other thing. You know, it's like if you think that you people that listen to this shouldn't listen to that, it's like you're missing out. Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. I really appreciate you being on and coming yeah, to talk. For sure. And I feel like I've gotten to know you better. I, I love one thing I just want to say for everybody is I, I love how it, it feels like you find something and then you get like really into it. Mm. And I'm that way as well. But just like listening to you talk about coffee and reggae and all this other stuff, I just love the deep dive that you do and to understand something completely. So Yeah, man. I mean, that's why it's like either go go big and go deep or just stay at home, right? Like is you know, and part of it is intended to be able to have spaces like this where you get to share the information because like yeah. that's part of the other problem is that there's a lot of people that will do all this diving and this research but they keep it to themselves and like that's never been my like even my approach with music right i don't like you're not gatekeeping any tracks no or, hell no and not yeah. you know not gatekeeping and not like you know like my for me gigs weren't like i said the money was never it I would rather forego the money and would rather have someone that says like, what was that you just played? Like, what was that? Like that for me is satisfaction. It's like, mm-hmm. all right. Yeah. Like here's a record. Like you can easily find it or best of luck, dude. You're never going to find it. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's going to be one of those two <laughs> options. So um, I mean, I've heard stories of DJs where like they see somebody going to like look into it. They have on a turntable and they're like hiding it. Like, so I, it's that's, like, that's what I experienced when I started up. Like, you know, you'd ask people, I mean, one of my favorite DJs to this point here, I'm not going to drop his name, but like I've, um, I've asked him numerous times what, you know, a song that he played and he, I consider him like one of my favorites in the city, but like he'll look at the right, he'll like take the record and put it in my face. He's got marker over everything. It's like, wow, no way. I'll let you see it. You know, and I'm like right away trying to look for like producer or yeah. anything that could give me any kind of insight. He knows it's all blacked out. Like, so I mean, that's different. He's a much older person, and you know, that's how he came up. Yeah. Right. Um, so I, you know, respect that for what it is, but that's not been my, <coughs> my approach is like share it, let other people experience it as well. Yeah. All right, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being on. Uh, and I always end saying to try some new beer and listen to some new music. Cheers. Cheers.